Let's open our Bibles to the book of Jude. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, we'd love to get those from you. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here and pray that you'd come back again and again and again and would love to get to know you and share with you all that God is doing here in this local body and how you can be a part. What does perseverance look like in the Christian life? Defection. It can happen to anyone, even those who appear to be the most loyal of soldiers. In military terms, it's called AWOL, absent without leave, in a more broad understanding, absent often without notice or permission. And what can happen in the military can also happen in the battle of faith. Charles Swindoll recalls a tragic story from his pastorate of a young man who went AWOL spiritually. This young man was one of those 10 talented teenagers who was still in high school but showed promise and maturity of being far beyond his years. Swindoll writes, we began to have time together. We shared meals together. We shared our home together with them, with him. We took him with us from place to place, even in travel. And he really won our hearts, and we his. He had a number of scholarships available, and he chose a school nearby because he didn't want to lose touch with me. And he began to grow for two years at this school. Then he realized in order to get the kind of education he desired for seminary, he, he needed to go to a better university. So he transferred. And he spent his junior and senior year in a school of an altogether different persuasion. And two things happened that were tragic. First, he began to tolerate a philosophy that was not biblical. It made good sense. And he drunk it in. He imbibed the philosophy of secular humanism. And second, he married a girl who was neck deep in it. And with her, he got the literature and the idols of her life and began to worship both of them. Swindoll recounts that he had lost touch with this young man for about a year, and then he came back and they met. And he noticed things were different. He didn't sound the same. He wasn't able to maintain eye contact with him when they would visit together. He didn't have a heart for God that he once had. His sense of humor and innocence were gone. There was a hardness now, a cynicism, a thick callous had developed over his heart. And he was now in the area, but he avoided Swindoll more than ever. In a strange twist, he enrolled in a seminary. The first year he was tolerated. The second year was misery. And the third year he was told not to come back because his beliefs no longer aligned with the confessional commitments of the seminary. By this time, he was under the care of a therapist. His marriage was on shaky ground. Things were just falling apart. Swindoll tells of their last encounter. It was at a restaurant where I sat eyeball to eyeball with a living apostate. A young man who I had nurtured, poured life and time and energy and love into into his life who, who had bought into the lies and deception of this age, who once was among the faithful, 
singing the same songs that we, we sing, but in time, just turned away and walked no longer with the Lord. Every pastor who served for very long have, has a story similar to that. It's heartbreaking. Apostasy is a clear and present danger. Jesus warns us of this in the parable of the soils. It, it describes this danger, and perhaps the most sobering of, of, his, of his parables is this one. In, in this teaching, Jesus compares seeds sown by a farmer to the words sown in the human heart by the messenger. And this parable is found in Matthew 13 and Mark 4. And the, and the condition of the soil or heart determines the growth of the seed. With a master stroke, Jesus gives a vivid picture of conditions that prevent a fruitful future. Some seeds never penetrate the soil and the birds come and pick them up and they never are profitable at all. These, this, this soil describes the hard heart. Some seed falls into shallow soil and while there is quick and almost instantaneous growth, it lacks the root system to support the growth. And when the sun comes out, it's scorched. Other seed fell among weeds and it chokes the growth. Only the seed sown in the good soil produces 30, 60, and 100-fold. Jesus interpreted this parable to describe the tragedy of falling away from the obedience of faith. Sometimes the the cause of of falling away is because of trials or persecution or hardship. And if not pastorally guided, uh, someone can become bitter by these storms of life. I thought if I became a Christian that I would be spared these things. That's not true. Jesus never promised that. He promised to be with us through it all, but not to be spared from the trials of this life. And they come and they choke the word out because of these trials. This parable emphasizes that true salvation is evident by fruit that remains. Not by a flash in the pan for a moment. We should take no comfort in wanting to ride the neutral path of I might be in the kingdom of God, I might not. That's a death wish. God does not intend for his people to live in a spiritual no man's land. There is an assurance for the people of God found in faith in Christ and his presence with us, his spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and walking in obedience. So we turn to the book of Jude, which is really committed to this warning to believers in the first century. The warning about apostasy, and apostasy means falling away, leaving what you once maintained to be true. Jude's writing to believers with a sense of urgency. He says in verse 3, now, let me just give you a warning. <laughs> Last week, I kind of lingered a little long on the front. I'm moving this week. You got to listen fast. I got a lot to cover, and it's important. So, ready? Here we go. In verse 3, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contending earnestly. So the reason we must contend is because false teachers and heresies abound. That's always been true. 
We are called to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. That's how we're to think. In every generation, false teachers twist God's truth, seeking to deceive and destroy the naive. So Jude gives a vital challenge here. So I have two points and a lot of discussion. The first point is this, the perversion of the grace of God. If you're tracking it on the insert, that's the first one. Perversion of the grace of God. And that is the subject matter, verses 3 through 16. We, we need to contend, which means it's a picture of, of a wrestler contending for a position. We're to contend without being contentious. And this word contend, epakonizomai, means to struggle, to exercise great effort. Your faith should be a pearl of great price in your heart which is worth what? Our best effort in everything. Our greatest devotion. Our greatest commitment to understand what God has given to us in his word. So Jude is basically saying, don't let anyone pin your faith to the ground without a struggle. It's worth fighting for. So don't be afraid to get in the dirt and wrestle for it. I've mentioned this on previous occasions. Beware of overusing, well, it's not a hill on which to die. It may very well be for you. Depending on the context and the situation, we should always be contending for the truth. For what are we contending earnestly? The faith, Jude says, verse 3. That means the body of Christian truth. And so every faithful ministry has a duty to provide a polemic against false teaching. What does polemic mean? A strong, critical assessment of something. It means to speak negatively about it. It means to name names. Now that can wear thin if it's every week. Oh, who's he going to rail on this week? But I would remind you, Jesus named names with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I would remind you the Apostle Paul named names. I would mention in 1 Timothy 1, Alexander and Hymenaeus who made a shipwreck of their faith. He mentioned them by name. He mentions Philetus by name in 2 Timothy. He mentions uh, Demas in 2 Timothy 4 who for a love for this world left. He left We all know what that means. Paul named names. There's a place in pulpit ministry for naming names. And I want to be faithful to do that. Not every week. And not arrogantly. And not based on secondhand information. But there's some people, out of a sense of warning, a pastoral warning, I need to warn you, don't listen to them. You should never listen to Joel Osteen. Amen. Ever. You should, ne- you should not listen to Andy Stanley. Amen. Anyone who says that the Old Testament is unhitched from the Christian life needs to be dismissed out of hand. You should not listen to him. Virtually, if not everyone in the Word of Faith movement, everyone in the Word of Faith movement, you should not be listening to them at all. Amen. Kenneth Copeland... Joyce Meyer, they have major defections doctrinally. 
Did you know that T.D. Jakes holds an unorthodox and heretical view of the Trinity called modalism? It's right on his website. You can verify that. These are not ministries you should trust. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, who do you think you are, Pastor? And there's really a pushback here on... You know, who can really be certain about the truth? You've got all these denominations. You've got all these preachers. They've got these massive ministries and massive websites. And here we are in little Gonzales, Louisiana. Who are you to say anything about this? I would hold this up and say this is the reason I would warn you about anything. So apart from this, I have nothing really authoritatively to say to you. But based upon this... The God's word, you should be warned about these things. And Jude is speaking about this. He takes great care to provide a portrait of false teachers and apostates. He says in verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. And he emphasizes the ungodliness of their character and of their message, their drift Um, is like a wrecking ball with rebellion in their hearts. They purposely oppose the mainstream teaching of the Christian faith, even opposing and belittling and undercutting the teaching of the apostles. Unlike the apostles, however, they, they they were recognized leaders. And I've called the, this kind of false teacher who, I refer to them as soakers. That's, to me, a a term that describes, they get into the woodwork of a Christian fellowship or a church and make themselves appear to be faithful when they're not. Beware of appearances. And so there's a rebellion against God's revealed authority. So here we go, verse five. Jude is making this incredible case from the Old Testament. He says, I want to remind you. He wants to remind them of a lot of things. He says to them, remember, remember, I'm reminding you, although you once knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who didn't believe. And he's referring to the Israelites. Isn't that an interesting connection? Some render it the Lord, but uh, here in the ESV, Jesus who saved a people, he's referring to God's redemptive work in Israel. Now, would you think if you were among that generation and you saw God part the sea and bring about the plagues prior to that and rain down manna from heaven that you would ever disbelieve in God's provision? Ever? Or question that God's hand was on Moses? That entire generation, save Caleb and Joshua, died in the wilderness like litter strewn in the wilderness they died. In unbelief. Unbelief. It's a, it's a terrible thing to disbelieve God. In fact, without faith it's impossible to please Him because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him and trust Him. So they were judged. Look at verse 6, the angelic world. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left that and he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. And so scholars debate on whether this was at the time Satan fell. I tend to side with Genesis 6 at the time of Noah where... Um, you have this 
unprecedented demonic presence on the earth that affected human offspring. I think that's the best way to understand that. And so out of bounds was the angelic encroachment that God brought about a flood. And he held these angels who left their boundaries in order to destroy and to bring chaos into God's creation. He has them in eternal chains waiting the judgment. They're out. And so what do we say about the angelic world? They were judged. Israel was judged. The angels were judged. What about Sodom and Gomorrah? Genesis 19 Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, a city, a populace that was given over to sexual perversion in every wicked way possible. So bad was it as Abraham was interceding for his family, Lot, and his offspring, and he, he just begins to barter with the Lord and ask God, you know, if there are 50 righteous, will you save it? Well, it, Lot began to, or um, Abraham began to think of all who lived in Sodom. And finally, he had, after wearing out maybe some patience, said, if there are 10 in that city, would you spare it? And God says, if there are 10 righteous in the city, I will spare it. Well, we know what happened. God sent two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah, or into Sodom, and, and all the men of every quadrant of the city come to seize them and to commit immorality with them. And God sent fire and brimstone, eternal fire. Amen. So Israel was judged, the angelic world was judged, Sodom and Gomorrah was judged. And then this rebellion against God's revealed authority Verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams. And here he's talking about the false teachers. These teachers are relying on their dreams. They're defiling the flesh. They're rejecting authority, namely the scripture and the teachings of Jesus Christ, even though they invoke his name. And blaspheme the glorious ones. They speak in utter ignorance of the spiritual realities that exist They blaspheme these things. And then he holds up an example from Jewish history and tradition. He mentions Michael the archangel. This is a powerful, powerful angel. We read of him in Daniel, Daniel 10, Daniel 12. And here, Jude reaches into Jewish history, writing to primarily Jewish believers in the first century. And he holds up Michael, this warrior angel. And Michael was sent to the body of Moses when he died, Deuteronomy 34. We're not told any of this in Deuteronomy, but we are a Jude, and it's inspired. So Michael is contending with the devil. Talk about a match. And they're disputing over the body of Moses. We don't know where Moses was buried. That's a good thing, because Israel would have begun worshiping the body of Moses. They're disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. But even in this conflict with Satan, Michael the archangel says what? The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. 
wow, he's Michael the archangel, and he's showing a fear of these authorities to trust in the sovereign power of God, even in these conflicts? Yes. To the false teachers, they're self-destructive. Verse 10, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And then he holds up three more illustrations from the Old Testament. This will sharpen, by the way, this Jude just emphasizes our need to understand the Old Testament. And here he mentions Cain, Genesis 4. Cain killed his brother. Woe to them, for they walked the way of Cain. It it could be that Cain was jealous of his brother Abel. I'm, I'm sure that was true. It could have been that he wanted to introduce a new worship uh, that was foreign to what God had given, even in, that, in those early days of redemptive history. But we know that he did not heed the warning and he killed his brother and he walked with a mark on his life the rest of his days. Woe to them, Cain experienced God's judgment. Then he mentions Balaam's error. Now Balaam takes us to the book of Numbers, uh, chapters 22 through 25, and Balaam was a hired prophet who was sent to sow false doctrine among Israel and to introduce sexual immorality among Israel. And he was um, confronted in his error and received God's judgment. Maybe you remember Balaam in the account of the, the, the donkey speaking. And, and then Korah's rebellion, also in the book of Numbers. You, you may not be familiar with that, but that was a huge moment in the wilderness for Israel. Moses had led them through, and now Korah and about 250 leaders in Israel are now questioning Moses. They're looking to overthrow him and to usurp his authority and take over everything, and Moses just hits the deck, calling out to God. God, show yourself strong. Well, I guess he did because God parted the earth. He opened the earth and swallowed up Korah and all of those following Korah, whoom, and affirmed that he had called Moses to lead Israel, not you. And so Cain was judged, Balaam was judged, Korah was judged, and so are you, false teacher. If you depart from the living God, friends, apostasy is frightening. To be among the ranks of God's people, to hear the word of God, you know it's possible to hear and experience and see spiritual things and fall away. Just like Israel, just like Judas Iscariot, just like many throughout redemptive history. Don't be among that number. That's, what, that's the passion behind Jude's letter. Don't fall away. Don't listen to these false teachers. And they have a whole host of deceptions and strategies. Verses 12 through 16. You're listening well. I'm quite proud. We're in verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. Now, now he's coming inside the camp. He's looking at a local body. He's looking at the fellowship of the believers. And notice... He doesn't hold back. It's just like he ransacks every analogy you could, you could have, seemingly, and, and brings it to bear on describing how hideous and evil they are. 
They're hidden reefs in your love feast. That means when you come together and you enjoy a meal together and then you enjoy the uh, Lord's Supper together, they're there and they give the appearance that it's safe harbor, but there are reefs close to the shore as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds. You think of the, um, the immensity of, of the clouds and they have no water, no power, swept along by the wind, fruitless trees in late autumn. This is not a call to be harsh. This is not a call to be paranoid. This is not a call to be judgmental. This is a call for you and I to say the reason we gather together is because we believe the same things. Not on every point of doctrine or how we live our daily lives, the choices that we make in life. But I'm saying we're here because Jesus Christ is Lord and he's our Lord. That the word of God is true. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We gather because we believe that. And woe is, woe is it unto us if we forsake it. And so all these issues of judgment, all of these warnings... He even mentions another apocryphal book. He mentions the assumption of Moses with regard to Michael in verse 9. He also reaches into Jewish history and speaks of First Enoch, an apocryphal book. But nevertheless, here we, he references it as something that is true and noteworthy. Verse 14, it was also these that Enoch in Genesis 5, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute what? Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your defection will be exposed. There is a judgment that we're to fear, and that's why we need to run to Jesus Christ every day, every moment. So the summary judgment is given, regardless of the generation of human history. Go back as far as you want to go. As far as, uh, regardless of the generation of human history, falling away, false teachers can expect a sure judgment. A sure judgment. Look at verse 16. It affects their attitude as well. These are grumblers malcontents following their own sinful desires. They're loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. That's a perversion of the grace of God. Now, the second point. Perseverance in the grace of God. We're to run from that, verses three through 16, and we are to run to what we're looking at in verses seven through 22. Perseverance in the grace of God. So several things to remember, several things to remember here. Remember the warnings. When you read your Bible and you see warnings, they're there for a purpose. He says in verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is centered on an apostolic witness. That means that we take seriously Peter and James and John and their record that we have in our New Testament of who Jesus was and what he said and how they corroborate each other's testimony. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. And what did they predict? They said in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
there will always be scoffers. Outside the church, we know who they are. They belittle our faith. They think we're, of all people in the world, the most stupid. Only a fool would give their heart and allegiance to this. We, I remember um, someone asking me when I was teaching the historical books, what, what relevance does that have to the contemporary world? Only that it's God-inspired word and it's a critical part of redemptive history and all the promises in the historical books, the millennium that makes up the historical books points to the fulfillment of Christ and the hope of eternal life as God keeps all of his covenant promises. Other than that, it doesn't have much to do with contemporary life, which is tongue-in-cheek. It has everything to do with it. That God is the God of the generations. He is the God of the ages. So, they're scoffers. Look at verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So, what's, what should we do as we remember these things? Well, one would be this, friends. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Ask God to give you a discernment to see His truth, His Word. Don't give your allegiance to teachers or messages or so-called ministries that lack the basic test of biblical fidelity. Watch your attitude. Don't speak sarcastically about the things of God. Watch your attitude. Give the, the best part of your life to the Lord. Love Him. Love what He loves. Fight a cold heart. What do you do when you have a cold heart on a cold morning when you'd rather stay in bed than get up and come to church? When, when you'd rather check out than to witness to your neighbor, your loved one? I need to guard my heart. I need to stir it up. I need to say, Lord, you've got a calling on my life. He warns in verse 16, avoid irreverent babble for it will lead to more ungodliness or rather, this is in 2 Timothy. Avoid irreverent babble, Paul says. These false teachers were, their teaching was gangrene. That's the image in 2 Timothy. So guard your heart. Secondly, watch your words. Watch your words. How do others speak about God? How do pastors and teachers speak about Him? Watch your words, how you speak of the things of God, how you refer to your church. Do you, do you understand, you know, just thinking about that, the words in our home go a long way in affecting other people in our family. You can't expect to trash your church and expect your children to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it happens. But boy, is that an, an extra example of God's grace in overcoming that to guard our hearts against the cynicism of this day. You know, you can hear it sometimes when people, you know, and we have, we have our own language, I, I admit that. If it's biblical, I'm good with it, but we refer to the Lord, we refer to Him guiding us and leading us. We, we refer to answered prayer. And often you'll hear people say, oh yeah, you're gonna go talk to the Lord. And belittle it all. 
You know, the, world, the world has never thought the gathering of believers was valuable. To the world, this gathering this morning has never made sense. There are better things you can do on Sunday morning, like watch old classical movies, or play golf, or fish, or do what you want to do. Humble yourself under the authority of Christ. That's what Jude calls us to time and time again. Remember who we're following. Remember the means God's given, verses 20 and 21. Remember the means God has given. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do I build myself up in the most holy faith? Well, that's not a works proposition. That really is bringing us back to spiritual disciplines. There are things that God has given to us, means of grace that God has given to us that we need to use if we're going to grow as Christians. And that's what, that brings us back to Scripture. That brings us back to faithfulness in a local body. That brings us back to morning devotional time, which we talk about all the time. These are things that are never changing for the believer. These are means of grace that God has given. And thinking of other things too, serving, witnessing, giving. All of these are spiritual disciplines that God has commanded us to in order that we might grow. So when he says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, your life and mine is committed to do the things God has commanded in his word and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. If you're not seeking to know the truth in God's word, you're susceptible to apostasy. Become a student of the scripture. Keep your focus on Christ. Guard against false teachings. Make decisions in your private time. You're not gonna look at that. You're not gonna go there. You're not gonna participate in that. All of that is part of growing. I think that something else needs to be challenged with regard to this as, as well. It comes, so little time is given to the nurture of your faith. I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm talking about the church in general. It may apply to you. Some of you have taken on ambitious careers and you've gone through the rigors of engineering school and all that that required. And you, you've given yourself fully to that or as a teacher or as an accountant or as an attorney In the vocational world, you've given yourself to learn a trade. And you've given your heart and soul and energy to it. What I'm wanting to hold up is that we would, we would have that kind of intensity in trying to understand the scripture and grow as a believer. You can't master something that should master your life with such little effort. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying, never stop praying, believer. Oh, how often I read that. From the time of Genesis, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. All through the time of Moses, they called unto him in prayer. And the Psalms, one prayer after another. And then we come to the teaching of the Lord Jesus who said, we should always pray and not lose heart. Praying in the Spirit, this is not anything other than 
offering prayer to the Father, guided by the Spirit who forever lives to make intercession for us. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's a fight. That's a battle. That's saying no to the flesh and to sin, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus. How do I keep myself in the love of God, waiting for his mercy? Well, I remember, I remember what he has commanded me to do. Remember our ministry to one another. It says in verse 22, remember, um, excuse me, in verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Think about the gathering of the body here. God's way for you to persevere in your faith and for me and mine is to gather with the body. Have mercy on those who doubt. I realize that when we gather on the Lord's day, some uh, in the ranks are dealing with some serious doubts across the board. What do I believe about the Bible? What What do I believe about Jesus? Am I gonna come back next week? I, I realize, you know, these are things that are on the table in the hearts and minds of people who gather here. And my pe- appeal to you, my impassioned appeal to you is, yes, come back. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And these are the things you need to hear. Because you're not going to be rescued from doubt if you continue to pour doubts and falsehoods and deceptions into your life. Verse 23 gets a little more dramatic. Save others by snatching them from the fire. That's referring to people who've bought into the lie and are really on the slippery slope to follow the way of the false teacher. Snatch them from the fire. That's a little dramatic. What is that referring to? They're on the road to judgment, and unless we intervene and speak words of truth to them, they're gone. They're gone. To others, show mercy with fear. That means none of us have arrived. All of us are in need for our brothers and sisters to speak into our lives. And if that's something you enjoy doing, you shouldn't do it. Because there's a sense of mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Well, that's a pretty radical book, Pastor. You're not kidding. And we need a massive dose of it. Because I think we're far too comfortable with our status quo. And all I'm wanting to appeal to is that Jude's burden would be ours. We live in a war zone. The world's not a playground, it's a what? It's a battleground. So whose voice are you going to listen to? Of all the voices that you could listen to in your life, who are you going to listen to? Well, you know what my job is. I want you to listen to Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to follow him. I want you to understand that there are many adversaries in the world, and you're well aware of that, and that his voice would trump them all. I'm always reminded of this story when I think about the voice of Christ in a person's life. And I read it in a book um, by an old preacher. And her name was Kitty McKeever. She 
was the chief telephone operator in New York City back in the day when you would plug in the line in order to make the connection for the phone call. And her friends say, uh, say that Kitty never forgot a voice, although she handled about 2,000 calls a day. Such voice memory is exceptional. But there's one voice that we should always know, regardless of how many voices we're unable to recall. And that is the voice of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 10, his sheep know his voice. He speaks to them through his word by the Spirit. And what a tremendous thing to know his voice. Now, I'll say, I don't want to confuse this. I've never heard the audible voice of Jesus Christ. I've heard something louder. <laughs> I've heard something louder, which I think is the testimony of any true believer. In salvation, when he says, come to me. In fellowship, when he says, I'll never leave you. In guidance, when he says, follow me. In trials, when he says, be encouraged, I've overcome the world. In communion, when he says, do this in remembrance of me. In service, when he says, serve me with gladness. In anticipation, when he says, I will come again. That's the voice you listen to. That's what guides your life. That's what brings peace to your soul. You can't help the blind by turning up the light. You can't help the deaf by turning up the music. You can't grow fruit without seeds. You must be born again. You must be born again. And that's what God's doing in this world under the gospel. That through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that offer of grace is extended to you in real time right now on this cold January morning. That whoever would turn from their sins and believe in him, he will save you. He will forgive you. He will bring you into his eternal family. You'll be adopted into his family by faith in Christ. It's a work of the Spirit. It's not by works of righteousness which you do. Do you hear his voice? saying to you this morning, come to me. Come to me. And may that voice be powerful if you're entertaining thoughts of defection. You're sick of the pew. You want something exciting with your life. And you're ready to run off and find it. You stay put. Not for my sake, but for your soul. Stay anchored to the Scripture and focused on Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? As we come to the close of our service, this is a time that we set apart to respond to the claims of God's word in our life. And maybe he's dealing with you this morning. We're gonna sing a great song, oh great God. He's the one that we give an account to and maybe the Lord stirred on your heart. You need someone to pray with. Our elders are here, we are here. And may we be faithful to hear his voice and follow him. Let's stand together after prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your hand on us. Lead us as we sing to you. May our hearts be completely devoted to, to all that you've called us to. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Amen.